This is a Radio.com original. This is Coronavirus Daily, World on Pause. I'm Charles Feldman from the KNXRadio.com studios in Los Angeles. And I'm Mike Simpson. And of course, we're here to talk about the global coronavirus pandemic. The leader of the free world has tested positive for the virus. News from the White House sending shockwaves across the country, around the world. Luckily, the president and the first lady appear to be doing okay. Mild symptoms, according to White House officials. But who gave the first couple COVID and where could the point of infection been? President Trump, being president, has access to some of the best medical care in the world. But will it be enough to keep him from getting very sick? A man of his age, after all, 74, is in a high-risk category. And if the White House isn't safe from the virus, where are we safe? Restaurants, malls, movie theaters are opening up again. But does President Trump's positive COVID test show that nowhere is really safe? And what's going on in the White House right now? Is it chaotic? Are things under control? A former top advisor to the First Lady shares her experiences there. But the worst-case scenario is here. For the White House, the timing could not be worse. The president and the first lady again testing positive for COVID. The White House describing symptoms as mild. A fever for the president, fatigue, but they say he can still carry out his duties. Mr. Trump's test comes after the debates on Tuesday. Last weekend's announcement of the Supreme Court's nominee. Other events where he gathered with large groups of people, a lot of them not wearing masks. Some are questioning whether the White House has become a super spreader site. Dr. Peter Chin Hung is an infectious disease specialist at UC San Francisco. Doctor, isn't it true that people tend to be most infectious in the days leading up to being, you know, symptomatic? Correct. Exactly right. So it means that we have to back time the fact that the president already has symptoms. We can give some lead time to the incubation period of virus and then the time with which he probably didn't have any symptoms while the virus was reproducing. And I guess we can also do that with Hope Hicks, which is kind of how this started. Not to say that she was patient zero, but how the reporting on it started. They knew about her, according to the reporting, as of Wednesday. And uh, Mr. Trump was still out doing an event then. And then we, of course, learned about all this last night. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And I think, you know, even while, I mean, President Trump was certainly extremely infectious uh, while he was on the campaign trail following the Tuesday debate. Well, and, and in fact, let's take a look at the debate, because the debate was only a couple of days ago. Now, you know, he was socially distant, uh, as well as politically distant from Joe Biden. But uh, considering how infectious the president likely was that night, is Mr. Biden somewhat in jeopardy. Yes, despite having a negative test, I think that uh, Joe Biden would probably have to repeat his test in a couple of days or so or, or longer, given the fact that it was, as you said, only two days ago, uh, there was a lot of shouting and screaming in the debate. The debate happened indoors. And of course, uh, there wasn't mask wearing at the time of the debate. I would assume, though, that the ventilation would be pretty good. It was a, you know, a standard commercial building. So that's the one thing good about the risk in that situation. So repeat tests for him, and that, I guess, would be extended to anybody else who is currently negative but has been around the president. When we look at this happening, how did 
it happened. This is supposed to be the most secure man on the planet. Is the fact that he got the virus a failure in letting it get to him? I mean, they, they always say he's tested, people around him are tested, but testing is not a shield. Testing just lets you know if there's a case that's, that's come close to you. Exactly. Testing is not a panacea. It's the behaviors that uh, we, we are worried about and the complete defiance of mask wearing, uh, the, you know, derision of others who wear masks is just really a metaphor for complete and utter disregard of science. In, in terms of who should be now tested, because the president has been on the campaign trail, he was out, as we just pointed out, do, uh, for the debates a couple of nights ago, are only the people who were in very close proximity to him need to be tested now, or, or what would be the criteria? So the criteria, strictly speaking, is anyone uh, who is, interacting with someone less than three feet for more than 15 minutes. And you can see that's probably a lot of people. So this will be a nightmare for contact tracing uh, because it goes through various jurisdictions and states and various departments of public health. So which public health department is going to take uh, responsibility for this massive undertaking? I think they'll have to coordinate, and that's going to be... uh, hard to do in, in the groups of departments of public health that have been defunded over the last few years. Dr. Peter Chin Hong, infectious disease specialist at UC San Francisco. As of Friday afternoon, President Trump is fatigued but in good spirits. Now that is according to the president's physician, Dr. Sean Conley. Mr. Trump is also said to have received an antibody cocktail along with zinc and vitamin D. What kind of treatment will the president be receiving as he recovers? Dr. Rahul Kare, founder and CEO of Innovative Care in Chicago, spoke with WBBM's Cisco Cotto about treatments and the roads to recovery. To begin with the symptoms and the fact that there really is no one way that it impacts each person. It's very different. It is very different. However, uh, most patients who do get symptoms do have um, kind of fevers, chills, body aches, cough, um, and then goes to a little shortness of breath or the telltale signs. But if you do get symptoms, uh, the symptoms are relatively similar for each patient. So is there a, a sort of a time frame here where if you get three, four, five days down the line and something major hasn't happened, uh, does that mean you're okay? Or, or again, is it different with each person? It is different, but um, the virus does act like uh, very similarly that, yes, uh, you might contract it, um, you know, an average of three to five days prior to, you know, getting tested. Um, and in this case, he was screened, so who knows when he actually got it. It could have been two days ago. It could have been seven days ago. We can't really tell. But, um, you know, uh, after that happens, you start to, um, start to uh, have a runny nose, maybe lose your uh, taste and smell. Um, start to have body aches. Uh, that's the normal progression if you do have significant symptoms. So time will tell. As far as the treatment goes, obviously we've learned a lot over the last several months. Uh, how is a person like this treated? Do they wait until the symptoms get worse? If they get worse, are there other preventative things that they would do in a situation like this? Again, I, I know you don't know exactly what they're doing with the president. So just in general, what would happen? 
Right. I think the proper thing to do, and I, I'm, my guess is his personal physician is an emergency physician who is highly qualified to do the um, treatment of him, is actually to wait and give supportive measures. So it's to make sure that this isn't getting worse, to check the oxygen level, make sure his pulse is okay, look for fevers. And if he starts to get that and start feeling shortness of breath, that's when you get a little bit worried. You may hospitalize um, him or, or a patient with COVID-19 who starts to feel short of breath and then have some oxygen level that goes down. You would supplement them with oxygen. But most importantly, you wouldn't treat them with anything like um, hydroxychloroquine or antivirals or anything of that sort unless the symptoms um, get progressively worse. So it's really a wait, see, and give supportive measures. In a case like this, I mean, he's the president. I mean, he'll literally be monitored uh, every moment of every day, un unlike a lot of people who would catch this. That's correct, and they should be. He's the president of the United States, and they should be monitoring him, and they will. Uh, but they'll do that in isolation and uh, and keep a track. And if he does um, progress to get any abnormal vital signs, um, I, I believe they will put him uh, into a, a hospital setting uh, so that they can quickly get a team of people to help him. There are three factors that are particularly concerning to President Trump's coronavirus infection his age, gender, and weight. Being a 74-year-old male with obesity puts him in a high-risk category for potentially developing a severe case of COVID-19. So what's the long-term prognosis for someone similar in his condition? Dr. Edward Jones-Lopez, infectious disease specialist at Keck Medicine at USC, is with us. Doctor, when a patient's showing mild symptoms, like what the president's apparently experiencing, I suppose there aren't too many treatment options available at this point. Correct. Uh, thank you very much uh, for inviting me to participate. Yes, so you're correct. Uh, there's really very few options, actually just one option, and it's still experimental, by the way. But there's uh, emerging data that these um, really artificial antibodies, artificially produced antibodies, can be quite effective, up to 70% protection against a progression to severe disease. So it's not at all uh, surprising that this is happening. Now, in terms of the other question about the risk, I mean, he would probably be in the medium to high risk of progression because of just sheer age and the um, comorbidities that are known. No? Um, but obviously, this is, this is unknown right now in terms of what the exact risk is. And it has to do with this reaction that um, makes people sicker is more what we call in medicine an idiosyncratic reaction. It's really at an individual level that it happens. And the presence of other health conditions um, just worsens the overall prognosis in someone. But the fact that this idiosyncratic reaction occurs or not is independent of the fact of the comorbidities themselves. Yeah. The, um, the White House is also, in, in listing what the president is taking, in addition to the antibody cocktail, among other things, it says he's taking zinc, uh, taking vitamin D, also, he's being treated for cholesterol. I'm presuming, I don't know, they didn't specify, but I'm presuming with a statin drug. Do any of those things by themselves or in combination help mitigate potentially any, any uh, serious outcome for him? So 
Yeah, those are all uh, very important and interesting questions. Actually, I know for, for sure both of those um, drugs are being investigated, both the zinc and also um, ACE inhibitors, um, and, and a long list of other medications that are being investigated for, the, for their uh, utility in patients with COVID. But to my knowledge, there are no data, scientific data, to suggest they may help or, or, or hurt, actually because that's really always the question before you, you start a study. Uh, they, can be, they can lead to a positive outcome or a negative outcome. In terms of recovery, what are we ballparking how long it could take if it's not going to get bad? Is this just like a 10 to 14-day course, usually for people who, who come out of it with a mild yeah, case? Yeah, so those are the, again, very important questions. So the, the administration of the antibodies that was mentioned may completely change the natural history of this. Yeah? But in general terms, what happens is that patients who develop, the, we doctors right now, we use a timeline of exposure and development of symptoms as the key way to anchor uh, what is expected to happen. And typically what happens is two to around 10, 12 days after the exposure, if someone is going to develop symptoms, it happens during that time, you know. The majority of them happen, develop these symptoms around five, day five to seven, you know. But it, it can happen as early as two days and as late as 12 days. And that's behind the idea of having someone in observation quarantine up to 14 days to cover those two to 12 days, you know. Once the symptoms occur, and apparently it was reported yesterday that the president has already some symptoms that were described as mild, then um, those people who go on to deteriorate typically happens on days five to seven, uh, four to seven, I would say. You know? And so that deterioration sometimes actually occurs in a very sudden way so the progression can be very mild initially, and boom, suddenly they deteriorate. And it has to do with this idiosyncratic reaction that I was referring to that kicks in suddenly and then creates a lot of like, chaotic inflammation. And the inflammation that, that is associated with this disease is really what gives you the very poor outcomes. And this inflammation can lead to very serious inflammation in the lungs, but we now know clearly this is a multi-systemic disease that can lead to inflammation in many other organs, including the brain, the heart, the kidneys, the liver, etc. Yeah, yeah well, a host of a host of problems. Uh, Dr. Edward Jones Lopez, thanks so much. Infectious disease specialist, Keck Medicine of USC. So there's a timeline of of things that we will no doubt be watching. When we come back, now that the coronavirus has reached the White House. Is there any place that's safe during this pandemic? A former aide to First Lady Melania Trump gives us an insight into what it is like being inside the White House during a crisis. If the White House really is a super spreader location, what does that mean for restaurants, bars, movie theaters, and other places where people gather indoors? Can they really keep people safe and following social distancing and other rules? With us is Dr. Zeke Emanuel, Vice Provost for Global Initiatives, co-director of the Health Transformation Institute at the University of Pennsylvania. Used to be a special advisor for health policy at the Office of Management and Budget in the White House. So, Doctor, I guess there's two different avenues here. Number one, if there's cases in the White House, maybe nowhere is safe. But number two, this is supposed to be the most secure man on the planet. So, was there a failure here in the fact that he has the virus? 
No. <laughs> Look, uh, those of us who have been talking about this um, have been saying that you should wear masks, uh, stay six feet apart. Uh, that's what the doctors do and the nurses do in hospitals. And uh, that's what uh, should be done. You know, I, uh, the CDC was slow to advocate masks. I advocated it in uh, early April uh, uh, ahead of the CDC. We have very definitive de evidence that they make a big difference. This president has mocked that the whole time. And, uh, you know, there's a, there's a way in which science catches up with you. And uh, I think he is experiencing that phenomenon. You no. cannot. You know, you cannot avoid nature. Nature will win every time. Now, of course, he's not the only one, unfortunately, experiencing this. There are other people reportedly in the White House who are also testing and have tested now positive for the virus. And and to, to kind of go back to it when we were setting up this particular segment, is there then too much of a rush for other places, schools, uh, restaurants, sports, uh, sporting events, to try to pretend that things are somewhat normal when, to go to Mike's point just a minute or two ago, here you have the White House and here you have a man who can be the most protected person on Earth. Certainly the White House is one of the most protective buildings on the planet. And if it can get infected and many people in it infected with this virus, how can we safely open up almost anything? Yes. <laughs> Look, first of all, let's be clear. Testing is not a strategy to reduce transmission. It does reduce the number of people who are positive who you might interact with, but it itself does not prevent the virus from coming to you, right? If someone's got the virus and they're asymptomatic and they're uh, uh, before the test turns positive or pre-symptomatic, you know, the only things that will prevent you from getting transmission are staying six feet away, wearing a mask, hand hygiene. Um, now, I have for a long time said that's the reason you don't want to move inside with restaurants. You don't want to move inside with bars. Remember, this virus gets transmitted, or the, the risk of transmission increases dramatically with four things. One, indoors. Two, large crowds. Three, prolonged periods of time. And four, forced exhalations, yelling, singing, coughing, sneezing. Um, and, you know, you have that in bars, you have that in restaurants, you have that in indoor sporting events. You've really, I mean, those have got to be the last places to open up. On the other hand, you know, outdoor dining. Okay, you know, especially on your own porch where you can be six or eight feet away from the other group or couple that you're having over. Um, outdoor uh, uh, music events where you can be six feet away from other people. There are lots of ways of doing these things, maintaining distance. Unfortunately, going inside it dramatically increases the danger, which is why every public health person of any credibility is worried about the fall when we're going to be forced to go inside. This also doesn't negate the need for rapid tests as many places as we can get them, though, right? If I can even do an at-home test, it gives me some security for that day or that morning, but it doesn't mean I don't wear my mask because negative in the morning could still be positive at night. I look, you guys are almost doctors. What the hell do you need me for? Yes, <laughs> exactly. We're going to send I mean, you a bill, by the way. Yeah, I'm <laughs> <it all> down. <laughs> 
Um, I'll send it to my insurance and you won't. Okay. uh, (laughs) Well, very good. (laughs) uh, Yeah. So, I I mean, look, that is the fact, right? I mean, you know, you could be negative, right? But we know that a couple of days before people express symptoms, often before they turn positive, they can be shedding the virus and uh, infecting people. Do you worry about, well, not just the White House, but we we have, you know, Senator Mike Lee is is uh, positive. This could be a a lot of people in Washington right by by now. Forget Washington. The fact of the matter is yesterday, you know, 43,000 Americans turned positive. Okay, this isn't just the White House. We focus in on the White House. But, you know, I get nervous because um, there are lots of Americans every single day are uh, unfortunately getting sick. And that's a real problem. Dr. Zeke Emanuel, Vice Provost, Global Initiatives, Co-Director of the Health Transformation Institute, University of Pennsylvania, did serve as Special Advisor for Health Policy, Offices Management and Budget in the White House. People come and go at the White House, but not many have the ear of the president or first lady. Not many actually become close to their bosses, except Stephanie Winston Wolkoff. She was the First Lady's senior advisor, wrote about her experiences in the tell-all book, Melania and Me. She even released some recordings of Melania Trump in which the First Lady expressed frustration with things like Christmas preparation. So what does Stephanie winston Wolkoff know about what's happening now in the White House? She's with us. So what do you think is going on inside those walls? Well, I'd first like to start by saying, look, I, I wish them well in their recovery. And I was hesitant to do this interview given their given the, the COVID news. But I did feel it was important, given how close we are to the election. And I can only imagine um, the chaos going on right now in the White House. Take me through why you're so worried. I mean, do you think that the mere fact that this happened and the people that you you know there and have worked with, they're not going to have a handle on it, that that's the bigger problem or that, you know, people are questioning, would we even have really known had Bloomberg not talked about Hope Hicks? last night or how long would it have taken for us to find out right now the i truthfully i i have no contact with anyone inside the white house any longer as i've been involved and um cooperating on three different investigations into the trump organization as well as the presidential inauguration committee um but i think we have a humanitarian crisis all around us and i don't think we would be told that by the president or the people working with him um he's not listening obviously to the scientists and the experts And obviously that makes it impossible for us to know what's really going on inside. But when the White House gets into sort of crisis mode, and you use the word chaos, uh, Stephanie, what what actually happens? Can you just kind of walk us through how does that go down? Well, I think there's two different things. I think if you're looking at the West Wing, which I was not a part of, um, I think whoever the person is last in the room with the president is where probably the final decision ends up. But it's probably like a you know, like a chicken with their head cut off, everyone running in and out. On the East Wing, um, it's very different and um, quiet, yet the First Lady does make, you know, the ultimate decisions. But uh, right now, I, again, because I'm not in there, I don't know who he's listening to, and perhaps it's Jared and Ivanka. Um, and, you know, that leaves us really all um, hoping the best for our for our country, obviously. Do you think this will change any of the messaging that we hear from the president or, or some of the other top officials there at the White House? Do we hear more from the Dr. Fauci's of the world after this, now that it has hit so close to home? I, I really, I pray it does, but 
this president doesn't just double down, triple down. Um, he, he, if he would just come out and admit that, you know, there was an error, mistake. I mean, we are lost hundreds of thousands of lives. How can you not just admit what you see in front of you? Um, I do hope and pray that the experts, the Fauci's who, you know, who have come out, but more come out to express um, their concern and just the fact that if we all did put on a mask, um, how many more lives will and would be saved? You know, of course, we've been focusing mostly on the president, but Melania Trump also testing positive. Although, Mike, I don't believe the White House has said anything about whether she has any symptoms or did that. Uh, it was in the letter. She's doing all right. It's a bit of a cough and uh, fatigue, but nothing okay. major. But but some minor symptoms. You considered you used to consider her a friend. I, I don't know if you still do, but you did at one point. Is she a strong lady? And, and when I say strong, I mean in terms of being able to deal with now having what could, after all, be, for some people anyway, certainly is, a deadly disease. Um, I, um, you know, I, I do hope that they both um, are strong enough to overcome what this disease has done to so many people. Um, and the symptoms, obviously, are different for everyone. Melania's strong. Um we all know she was in the hospital last year. Um, and, um, I, I don't, you know, I, I think that they, she is, is a very healthy woman who, um, works out and eats well, um, takes care of herself as far. And I do want to say, um, as far as, you know, speaking with her, being her friend, um, we are no longer in contact. Um, and that had happened, you know, right after she had, um, and she and the president both, told me because of a possible investigation into the presidential inauguration committee that they could not put out a statement. They were advised against it. So that really ended our friendship. For people who, and, and this is probably the, the quote that makes the rounds the most about you, is it, it's what kind of friend would, would write a book? What kind of friend would would tape their friend if right. they weren't just out, at, out for, for money? So what kind of right. friend does that? What kind of friend? So just so I thank you. I'm so glad you asked me that because number one, I did not take an advance for this book. This was not for money. Um, I literally went to two people that I've worked with over the years in different publishing and editorial, and I just needed to tell my story. I needed to close this chapter in my life because it really created such destruction in my world. Um, it took away my my life, my 25 years of building my own legacy, my own hard work. In a matter of seconds, a headline ripped me of all of that, not just emotionally, but physically. I was in the hospital for over a month, um, um, almost literally dying. And, um, you know, so socially, economically, psychologically, um, what happened to me under my friend's um, um, watch was one of the worst things that could happen to someone. And so it wasn't until um, after I had been wrongfully uh, accused as well as, um, you know, uh, in order for them to conceal a lot of the things that, that, that go on at the White House, um, my friend turned her back on me when I needed her most. And she did it in a way that was, um, again, you, you I, I don't think anyone could possibly imagine that feeling of betrayal after you've left behind a world that you've created and worked so hard for to give up to help your friend who had no one. I mean, Melania had no one helping her. And um, I 
felt that it was my obligation as her friend, but also we are the United States of America. We still were supposed to have a peaceful transition of power. And in order to do that, I needed to, you know, step up to the plate because nobody else would. And so all those people that want to say that I, you know, betrayed a friend, we were no longer friends. I already had a lawyer and they had already accused me of stealing millions and millions of dollars, which none of it is true. And again, it's, you know, the prosecutors are working on this right now. So I'm limited as to what I can say, but they're really great at creating a narrative that is false, perpetuating and um, ruthless. Stephanie Winston Wolkoff there. The book is Melania and Me. Stephanie, thanks. Thank you for listening. We hope you're doing well. You can listen to us on the Radio.com app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher.